0: Hello, good people, and welcome to The Skinny on 88.5 WMNF and online at WMNF.org. I am uh, Ben Montgomery. I mentioned to my colleagues here that I have not hosted a radio program on my own since probably 1997 at Arkansas Tech University. Spinning tunes for mostly the truckers driving by on Interstate 40. I am glad to be back in a host seat today for the first time. I'm typically joined on the skinny, of course, by Ray Roa, who's executive director, sorry, executive editor of Creative Loafing, my good friend, and Mitch Perry, a longtime local journalist and reporter for the Florida Phoenix. Um, Say a prayer for both of my boys. (laughs) Listeners, Ray is uh, under the weather right now. I'm sorry, Ray, get better soon. And Mitch is, of course, uh, stalking the halls of Tallahassee, probably in some very stylish sneakers, uh, trying to understand what's going on and tell us about the happenings of uh, these bills backstage. All eyes right now, of course, are on the city of Seven Hills as Republican lawmakers with supermajorities In both the Senate and the House and a friend in the governor's mansion are busy floating a bevy of new laws aimed at governing everything from education to bathroom use and health care. They've unveiled what Equity Florida has dubbed a slate of hate bills, which we'll talk about in a few minutes when we invite reporter McKenna Shuler uh, to join us uh, via Zoom. Uh, But first, I want to direct your attention today to a new uh, set of bills moving through the Florida Capitol that are certainly in keeping with Governor Ron DeSantis' combative stance toward the media and his portrayal of journalists as partisan players who lack accountability by making it far easier to sue news organizations for defamation and win. DeSantis has framed the push to rethink defamation laws, wanting to stand up for the little guy against these massive media conglomerates. Uh, According to The Washington Post, While Republican state lawmakers quickly took up his cause, publishers and free speech advocates, including some from conservative media, warned that the bill would dramatically change how journalists do their jobs. Bobby Block of the First Amendment Foundation uh, called it a death knell for American traditions of free speech. James Schwartzel, the owner of 92.5 Fox News, a talk radio station that carries Sean Hannity and other conservative personalities, said the bill would be "quote a death of cons- the death of conservative talk through the state of Florida." The devastation will be severe and swift, he wrote to lawmakers. Republicans will lose one of their most prominent platforms to reach their base forever. Now, opponents of the bill say uh, a provision that presumes reporting cited to anonymous sources is false could make it harder for journalists to investigate corruption and sensitive topics. They also warn that it could turn Florida into a destination for filing defamation lawsuits and that ordinary citizens, not just media pros, could face more lawsuits. By the way, I am currently an ordinary citizen. (laughs) Having lost my job... uh, Two weeks ago, the bill's author uh, to continue has dismissed concern as overblown. In an interview with The Post, state representative Alexand- Alex Andrade uh, from Pensacola argued that truthful reporting and even name-calling and satire would still be protected. But under current law, quote, it's nearly impossible to bring a defamation claim, he said. That's a situation he wants to change. Quote, what this bill will provide are opportunities to people who have been rightfully harmed by a false statement that hurt their reputation to seek justice, Andrade said at a recent committee hearing. And to not have to spend egregiously enormous amounts of money to seek justice to prove they were defamed with actual malice. Now, efforts to reform defamation law are certainly nothing new. Uh though they tend to collide with the Supreme Court's long-established precedent on this topic, which aims to protect robust public debate like we have here on MNF and enjoys support across most of the ideological spectrum. That precedent was set in a Supreme Court case called the New York Times versus Sullivan 60 years ago, and it's important to understand the underpinnings of uh, the history of this precedent so that we can kind of assess this effort to undermine it. Uh, The background very quickly, in 1960, the New York Times ran a full-page advertisement. This wasn't reporting, this was an ad, and it was paid for by civil rights activists like Harry Belafonte, whose name was signed on there, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who was uh, uh, on there as well. The ad openly criticized the police department of the city of Montgomery, Alabama for its treatment of civil rights protesters. Most of the descriptions in the ad were accurate, but some of the statements were false. Two of them had minor inaccuracies, including the number of times that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. had been arrested in Montgomery. The police commissioner, L.B. Sullivan, who wasn't named in the ad, took an offense to the ad and sued the New York Times in an Alabama court, saying the criticism reflected poorly on him. Sullivan argued that the ad had damaged his reputation and that he had been libeled. The Alabama court, which should be pointed out, was all white in 1960, uh, ruled in favor of Sullivan, finding that the newspaper ad falsely represented the police department and Sullivan. After losing an appeal to the Supreme Court of Alabama, the New York Times took its case to the U.S. Supreme Court, arguing that the ad was not meant to hurt Sullivan's reputation and was, in fact, protected under the First Amendment. The court unanimously ruled in favor of the newspaper establishing this precedent. The court said that the right to publish all statements is protected under the First Amendment. The court also said in order to prove libel, and here's the the important part of this, a public official must show that what was said against them was made with actual malice. Quote, that is, with knowledge that it was false or with reckless disregard for the truth. Although Florida is known for some uh, of the most expansive laws allowing uh, public access to government documents and meetings, which we know as the Sunshine Laws, uh, it has been getting harder to obtain records and cooperation from state agencies, especially recently. If you've been listening to this program, if you listened last week, then you know all about it. Uh, I, I, I know uh, about it myself. None of this, uh, quote quoting here, none of this started with DeSantis, but there is absolutely an undercurrent of hostility in the state right now. This is Nate Moore, who's a columnist at the Jacksonville, uh, at the Florida Times Union in Jacksonville who, by the way, uh, uh, was put under surveillance by uh, Florida Power and Light after he wrote uh, critical pieces. The purpose of this, Monroe said, is to increase the cost and the risk of doing journalism. And I think that's a very important point. Uh, these uh, major media conglomerates that are so often the target of uh, of the vitriol directed at the press... Um, in the state, really, when it comes to state house reporting, we're not talking about major media conglomerates. We're talking about uh, news organizations that by and large are strapped, and I know this from personal experience when I got on at the St Pete Times in uh, two thousand and six the newsroom was robust uh, there were uh, there were uh, uh, you know somewhere in the neighborhood of four hundred people in the uh, in the newsroom now this has dwindled dramatically in the years since in the fifteen years since um, and this is the case at most. Uh, news organizations in the state of Florida. I spent time with uh, Andrew Pantazzi, who uh, helped uh, start a union at the Florida Times Union in Jacksonville. Uh, Andrew is no longer employed there and is now trying to um, um, make his way with an independent news organization. But uh, the staff at the Times Union also is dramatically smaller than it once was. These are not robust uh, news-gathering organizations, certainly not like they were in the early 2000s. And so don't get the wrong idea idea that the news media in this state is necessarily uh run by uh, uh, wealthy millionaires right um we're talking about uh, a press that has been beaten up and has uh has uh be primarily because of the loss of broadsheet advertising print advertising which dwindled when the internet came around this is a a, a media landscape that is much uh, smaller uh, in number than it was uh, even 10-15 years ago Um, To carry on, a circuit court judge in Florida recently ruled that DeSantis has executive privilege comparable to the power invoked by U.S. presidents to shield certain records. And a state agency ruled that groups holding events at the state capitol must be sponsored by a state agency or lawmaker and must align with state agency missions. Um, Some state lawmakers seem to view discussions of media rights and defamation in highly personal terms. Uh, And there are a couple of examples of this, but one in particular that I thought was interesting was Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo of Naples uh, decrying a political mailer that featured a doctored image of her appearing to hug President Biden. And I think this is where we see a lot of uh, the sort of uh, the the purposefully defamatory statements, right, in political mailers. Uh, And it seems like there might be some confusion between political mailers and what the press does. Uh, as as a function. Um, But let's unpack this just a little bit more. According to the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, uh, both bills in Florida, and that's a House version and a Senate version, make it easier to sue for defamation when challenging statements by confidential or unknown sources. The House bill creates a presumption of falsity for statements by anonymous sources, and this shifts the burden from the plaintiff to the defendant since the plaintiff does not need to affirmatively show that the claim is false. As such, it contradicts that case law that's established in New York Times versus Sullivan. And the Senate bill also lowers the, sh- the threshold essentially for, of proof that a public figure, a plaintiff, must show when challenging statements by anonymous sources from knowledge that something was false or reckless disregard or, of that possibility to negligence, which only requires a plaintiff to show that the defendant acted unreasonably. This likewise contradicts that precedent established in New York Times versus Sullivan. So now what's going on here? What's the background motivation uh, behind this? We are sort of left to guess right now, but some have speculated that this is an effort to tee up a uh, legal battle that will eventually make its way to the Supreme Court and uh, uh, essentially get um, a reevaluation of the actual malice of, Uh, standard that was established by Sullivan. Uh, And if there's any good news for us in this and for the free press, it seems like there's no real appetite on the Supreme Court to reconsider New York Times versus Sullivan right now. Um, So that's good news. But joining me right now to talk about this and how it plays out and how it could possibly play out with us uh, is Sean Canan, who's the news director here at WMNF. Sean, um, these are uh, just now coming on our radar, but um, if these bills are successful, if one of them is successful, do you have a sense of how that might play out uh, across the media in general
1: and, and- particularly how things are run here at, at MNF. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me on. And uh, huge shoes to fill with Ray not being here and Mitch not <laughs> right. being here. And certainly a pleasure to be here with you, Ben. I'm um, really glad the skinny's on the air. Well, with all that out of the air, great setup. Yeah, you really told us what was going on in uh, with this. The media landscape in Florida is really challenging right now. And this bill that you're talking about that would essentially lower the threshold would make reporters more... Uh, um, you know more responsible that is I for for being held responsible for defamation even when there wasn't actual malice even if for example if there was an accident it was quite telling when you were reading those quotes from Republican uh, from sorry conservative media outlets like Fox News talk radio that they even think that this is a, a bad bill because they feel that they would be stifled well certainly here at WMNF we're not afraid to push the envelope uh, but who wants a bill like this, where every decision that you make, where you have to, you'll have to be thinking about, will this land me in court? And could, could I even afford to defend myself, even if I'm innocent? You'd, I think that reporters would be, it would make sense that reporters would pay attention to that if a bill like this passed to think, what would the effect be on me and how will that change my reporting? I take it uh, MNF has a giant legal team of uh, lawyers uh, to defend you against things like this. So many that I can't count them. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, very few. I mean, we do have, we have uh, people who can give us advice when we need it. It's quite expensive. So we don't, you know, we only do it when it's completely necessary. But to answer your question, no, we do not have the legal team that say, um, you know, either a big media company would have or that the state of Florida has to, to, if they want to invite a, a legal challenge against a media outlet, we'd really be outnumbered. We um, simply couldn't be afford to defend ourselves probably if we were ever challenged in a law like this. Uh, so uh, we, that's why I, would, I, I think I can speak for the organization by saying that a law like this would really not be in the best interest of free speech, not be in the best interest of, of communications organizations like WMNF or, or of news organizations in general. And MNF, F, uh, as we were talking about a little
0: before this, you're, you're planning next week a special event, uh, and I want you to talk about that in light of this, in light of this bill. But first, let me let me just um, turn to uh, David Bryant, a longtime listener. I found it found it funny and ridiculous when DeSantis had a press conference roundtable on a fake TV news set a few weeks mm-hmm. ago. He claims that these bills aren't about protecting him because he's got thick skin. That's bull. Uh, DeSantis has proven time and again to be a real snowflake and always shows that he can't handle criticism. Sean, do you think this is about the governor uh, not being able to handle criticism? Um, uh, I uh, happen to be engaged (laughs) in reading uh, his biography, which is out. Um, and speaking uh, of needing prayers right, and the, uh, and the, uh, the, 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 my takeaway, uh, at, uh, two chapters in, uh, is that, um, there, he talked the one time I've heard him, uh, talk good about the media, uh, is uh, when his team made the little League World, World Series and they got their pictures in the paper and um, and he really felt good about that and I wonder if those experiences uh don't sort of shape how we come to think about the media as adults uh, and I, I wonder if you think there's something to this idea that um, silencing the media uh, serves to uh, to bolster who he is and 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 um so, sort of help him in his 2024 presidential campaign. You know,
1: it worked. It seemed to have been a, a brand that worked for Donald Trump, and I think that Ron DeSantis learned from that. That just kind of, um, with, without any kind of reason behind it, just in general bashing the media, whether or not they were doing a good job or a bad job, whether or not they were their criticisms were valid or invalid. Just bashing the media is kind of one of these one of these. Uh, Dog whistles, I guess, that that some people just get really, really get behind. And I think that DeSantis has taken off with that. And just like saying, stop woke, he, he bashes the media and, and his constituency will get behind him when he does those things. Do you think that's because there's a disconnect between the media and the people? In other words, do you think people think
0: of, uh, you know, a skinny Oki in uh, overall sitting in the WMF studio as the media? You know what I mean? I think if I have a beer with anybody on this planet, we could get along and find things to talk about. And to be villainized over and over for, you know, 20 years, it's different because... Uh, I meet people and when they learn, you're, you know, I'm a journalist, uh, you work for newspapers for, you know, 20 years and so forth. There's sort of a shock there. Oh, uh, it changes the way people sort of regard uh, those who aren't savvy and don't know the media and haven't had experience with the media. It changes the way they
1: regard us.
0: Yeah. I'm a regular
1: guy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and for people who can't see you, which is most of us, uh, most of you out there, uh, that's, you were describing yourself, the skinny oaky with the, with the overalls. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think that in your local community, the local journalists are really just everyday people like you and I. I mean, that it's it's just we're just regular people. Now, I think that there is this class of of um, elite journalists, as they say, that mm-hmm. are, are that are pretty much out of touch with everyday things. Um, but they're just a small portion of the whole media landscape. Uh, you know, there are a few people at the New York Times or on Fox News or on MSNBC or whatever that, yeah, they're, they're probably millionaires. The rest of us, not quite. So yeah, we're just regular people. We're just trying to make our communities better. And I think that, you know, if people knew that, if people appreciated that, rather than just kind of cheerleading for this, um, uh, this criticism of all media, I think that they, they would see that, you know, people like Ben Montgomery are just trying to make Florida a better place for everyone.
0: That's the truest thing you've ever said. Ben Montgomery's trying to <laughs> 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 um, That's why we're all here, right? Uh, so let's turn to uh, Bob. We got a caller here. By the way, if you want to reach out and chime in on this topic, please give us a ring at 813-239-9663. Once again, you're listening to WMNF 88.5 and this show is The Skinny. I'm Ben Montgomery, and I'm with Sean Canan. Uh We're turning to Bob. Uh, Bob, you're joining us live. Go right ahead.
2: Hey, Ben, how you doing?
0: Very good, thanks, um, sir.
2: I, I'm actually Bob Whitmore. I'm the uh, editorial cartoonist for um, Creative Loafing.
0: Thanks for calling in, Bob, excellent.
2: Yeah, you bet. My big fear with this bill is parody. Mm. You know, a lot of times when I'm doing a cartoon, you know, I'll depict things that are just completely absurd that sort of help make a point, help illustrate a point, um, you know, and sort of make people think about things, but aren't necessarily true. You know, if I showed, you know, Bill Buckhorn, Bob Buckhorn, turning into an elephant, you know, he, he might say, you know, you've got a lot of nerves saying that I look like an elephant. Well, that's not it. You right. know, it, it's no Bob, you know, you're a Democrat that was starting to talk like a Republican. And, so defending defending parody, I think, is going to be, you know, where I, I know that a lot of reporters have to fact check and I know what you guys go through when you're throwing stuff in front of an editor and they're like pushing back and saying, You got this, you got that, did you did you follow up on this? But a political cartoonist and even the cartoons of Charlie Headbow in France had to go through a lot of this. You know, when you're doing parody, anybody that can shut parody or satire down for a political cartoonist you know, that's that's very, very dangerous because um, political cartoons since the days of Thomas Nass and Tammany Hall mm. have really helped change the political landscape of, of America. So I just wanted to get uh, that that in. Thank you, Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Have
0: you know. ever been subject to uh, legal action in regards to your, your political cartooning?
2: No, but I did have the football team at Marist College threaten to beat me up one time. <laughs> uh, <because laughs> the of, Red uh, Foxes? Cartoon. Yes. How right, did I right know court. that? <laughs> yeah. So other other than that, but I, you know, I, I tell my editor, I'm like, you know, I'm ready to go in front of the Supreme Court for a, for a cartoon, you know, because yeah. it is, you know, somebody, you know, you, for instance, Ben, you know, we, everybody has to be the first, right? So, you know, hey, you know, we we do what we do what we got to do, but you know. Thanks for talking about
0: this. Yes, sir. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And Sean, let's, let's go back to you. What, what, what,
1: what were you mentioning earlier uh, uh, today? What's going on next week? Oh, that's right. So I think people might know that I have a show called Tuesday Cafe, and it comes on every Tuesday morning at 10. And that just happens to coincide with a really important Hillsborough School Board meeting this coming Tuesday. There's a book that's been challenged. It's called This Book is Gay, And, uh, it's, it's really highly, um, critically acclaimed, but it's been challenged. And so they're going to review that challenge at this school board meeting that happens at 10 o'clock Tuesday morning. So I'm going to play that show. I'm going to play that live on my show on Tuesday morning on Tuesday cafe, and it is guaranteed to cause some alarm. It's, it's, um, uh, I was talking off the record kind of on background with one of the school board members and they said that, you know the last time this book came up the the people who objected to this book were speaking out against it mm. and they were reading passages from it and they were specifically picking the most shocking passages to I've read yes, in public. Right, right. So, uh, they, and they anticipate that this Tuesday will be much more shocking. You know, they'll, they'll try it's the shock value. Of mm-hmm. course. If, I mean, if it makes sense as a strategy for them to pick the most shocking things from this book to, to alert the public to in their, in their minds. And so this will be happening live at the Hillsborough County school board meeting. We're going to be playing it live over the airwaves of WMNF. It will be very graphic at times. I believe it will be, um, there might be some skirting the edge of what we're allowed to do from the FCC. Now I'm going to keep an eye on that just to a, a, as much of a degree as I can and try to keep it as clean as possible. But it, there will be times during that sh- show that, you know, that people will say, Eek, is this really something that should be going out over the airwaves? And mm. our decision is, you know, within reason, the answer is yes. Why? Because it's an important conversation whether a, ba- a book should be banned or not is an important discussion that we should be having, and we should hear why people are think that it should be banned, and we should hear why people who who are listening to those arguments say, "I hear that, but this still should not be banned." We should have that whole conversation, and we're going to have it over the airwaves on on Tuesday morning. And you know, we have the freedom to do that to a degree. And we're going to protect that freedom as much as we can, and we're going to fight back against anything that kind of um, is going to stop us from doing that. Good for you, Sean. Thank you for your courage. Uh, Let's go
0: uh, to one more call on this topic. David and Valrico, go ahead, sir.
3: Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Of course. And it is rather shocking, and speaking of shocking, um, I just want to mention uh, President uh, former President Trump's um, comment about Ron DeSantis, uh, claiming he had a little sexual innuendo stating that he may be gay, and also posted a picture of Ron DeSantis when he was a high school teacher uh, with uh, underage students uh, at a party, which was actually broke uh, by uh, Mind is Touch, uh, if you want to look that up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, 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 if let's say, you know, you know, shock value, that's just a horrible thing to tell, you know, to fame someone about their, you know, person, you know, saying someone's gay without any real evidence. But what if it was a person that had a one-night fling with Ron DeSantis while he was in the Navy uh, or in college? And right. that person wants to say, yes, this is true, but won't be able to do it under anonymity, you know, wouldn't be able to be anonymous. Because, you know, once you're out there in the public, just like the uh, uh, election worker's, uh, they got their name broadcasted, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and people were demonizing them, wanting to kill them and death threats. What if one of the girls in the party saying, yeah, Ron DeSantis was taking shots with us? He was having a great time. And she's uh, out there. You know, he took one girl home.
4: <laughs> yeah. You
3: know, you know, and, and without that freedom of saying, yes, this is really true, I was there, I saw this. Um. You don't want to put your life on a line. It
0: could certainly have a chilling effect in terms of getting to uh, in terms of getting to the truth. Yeah, great point. Thank you for the call, David. Really appreciate it. Um, how about Nancy in St. Pete? You've been holding Nancy. Go right ahead.
5: Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Hi. Uh, yeah. I um, I just had a, a remind everybody that that uh, we're not as Americans known for our critical thinking. Uh, as a mass of people, mm. some people are such as reporters, which I truly believe because they have to; otherwise, their paper gets sued. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, you know, who Joan Didion is.
0: Yes, I do. Yes, ma'am. Sure, the writer. Okay.
5: Yep. I thought it was a very, uh, very uh, interesting point I thought, which was that that uh, people uh, think that reporters are their enemy. And she said, they're not wrong, uh, because what we really want to do as reporters is change your mind or make you think about something. Mm. And, you know, as a society, we don't like to do that.
0: (laughs) Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, uh, we like to stay in our lane and uh, follow our routine. And, um, yeah.
5: yeah. And, uh, you know, and when they hear and Trump knows this, he knows that people want sensation and outrage and as long as he can keep everybody in a state of outrage He couldn't be happier
0: and that's where we are a state of outrage thank you for the call nancy i sure appreciate it listen you're with uh, wmnf 88.5 you're listening to the skinny i'm ben montgomery uh some people are tuning in on wmnf.org if you want to call us 813-239-9663 we're going to let sean uh go here but we're going to ask uh mckenna schuler to join us these florida bills Come as lawmakers in Florida pursue a broader DeSantis-inspired agenda. The governor, who's campaigned as a fighter against the woke left, is using a legislative supermajority to tackle culture war issues such as what can be taught in public schools and access to gender-affirming care. And as I mentioned, that entire slate of uh, bills that Equality Florida is calling uh, the hate slate. What's going on, McKenna?
6: Hi, Ben. Thanks for um, inviting me on. It's great to be here. Um, There's a lot going on as I tried to put together in a roundup for creative loafing from where I am now in Orlando um, to coincide with pride, just kind of a easy to digest roundup of some of the bills targeting LGBTQ folks in the state. So is there anything in particular you wanted me to get into?
0: Yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about the most interesting of them. And there's a lot here to unpack. So um, why don't we start uh, with uh, HB 1223, uh, which expands upon uh, a bill passed last year that people call Don't Say Gay. What, is, what does this new bill do?
6: Yeah, so this new bill, which some of the critics have been calling um, Don't Say They um, already, the bill would expand Florida's existing Don't Say Gay law by um, banning classroom discussion of gender identity and sexual orientation from pre-K through eighth grade. Um, currently, it's spanned up to third grade in public schools, but under this new legislation, this would also apply to charter schools as well. And discussion in grades um, nine and up would be restricted to that which is age appropriate and developmentally appropriate terms that are really vague and not clearly defined by legislators, as was the case, I believe, last year. And uh, the bill would also regulate pronoun usage by not requiring um, instructors to use pronouns that are preferred by students. And I've seen some reporting that it would even ban um, teachers from uh, using pronouns that uh, differ from a student's assigned at birth. Um, And even more recently, in related news, it's come out that just uh, the Florida Department of Education will actually be hearing a proposal next month that would accomplish what this bill proposes and more through a process that wouldn't even require legislative approval. So. Going further than the so-called don't say they legislation, the proposed rule in the Department of Education would bar all public school teachers from providing classroom discussion um, or instruction, I should say, on gender identity and sexual orientation. Um, so, is it, this bill, say-
0: is it this bill or another that's given rise to uh, questions about whether a... Um- uh, fifth grade or say sixth grade teacher under a teacher, uh, so students uh, under uh, eighth grade uh, would be able to talk about, to, to help uh, 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 students with menstrual issues. Hey, is this that believe, bill or is this another one?
6: I believe that's a different bill, but I could be wrong.
0: Yeah. Um, Fascinating. That 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 bill, of course, deals with sex ed, health and science classes and what they can and can't teach. Uh, we can discuss yeah, that protect- a
6: Yeah. Protecting children from comprehensive sex ed. That's right. Which includes um, education on STDs, for instance, which is really important for um, people to understand, arguably.
0: Yeah. Can you tell us about, uh, uh, there are two bills, Senate Bill 254 and House Bill 1421. Um, Both uh, attempt to ban gender affirming care. What's going on with those bills?
6: Yeah, so that's one of the more particularly chilling bills this session. Um, And what it would do essentially is codify a rule that was already approved by the Florida Board of Medicine. So one of the biggest things it would do, is there's a lot going on in this legislation, but it would ban gender affirming treatment, medical treatment, such as puberty blockers for trans and non-binary youth. Um. So that ban is already effect under the rule approved by the Florida Board of Medicine, but this would codify that and provide, um, I believe, penalties or violations. But even more, the bill would also cut off public insurance coverage for gender affirming treatment if you're lucky to have that insurance covered at, at all. So that means adults would be impacted, too. And a new amendment by the House bill sponsor, Randy Fine, who's openly and unapologetically refer to this evidence-based treatment as child abuse would target children who had previously been grandfathered in. So um, I think the original version of this legislation would have grandfathered in children who had already been receiving this care prior to the effective date of the legislation. Mm. But um, I I don't believe that's the case anymore with um, the amendment that Fine has put through, which would cut off people from that treatment entirely uh, by the end of the year.
0: Is gender affirming care, uh, how is it regarded by the medical establishment?
6: Yeah, so that's really important to um, emphasize in all coverage of this is that it is supported by every major medical association, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Pediatric Endocrine Society and the American Medical Association. And if I could go into that a little bit more, like gender dis- it's gender affirming care can refer to both medical care and social care um, for, as a treatment for gender dysphoria, which is defined as a feeling of discomfort or distress that might occur in people whose gender identity differs from their sex assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. And to even gain access to that care, you have to go through a process. So it's not just like you go to the doctor and you get it um for kids, you know, a parent or guardian will be involved, too. And there's often months, maybe even years of discussion that goes into this decision. Behavioral treatment specialists like a therapist might be involved, too. Um, And I wonder, Ben, like one thing that I've been thinking about when I, you know, kind of consider this legislation and the broader overarching message of protecting the children is um, just kind of what that means, I guess, to mm. Republicans. Do you mind if I kind of give my take a little bit? I'm. On
0: that? I'm so, well, if you can please enlighten us all, because I'm so curious about this.
6: So, protect the children has been a phrase that's been used for a, like for to describe a lot of this legislation from like protecting children from drag performance, mm-hmm. from comprehensive sex ed, from discussion of gender and how not every relationship is woman man, man woman, and that's okay. And then, crucially. Protecting children from evidence-based, gender-affirming medical care, when protecting the children is, you know, arguably giving children the resources they need, the support they need to thrive and to live their authentic selves. As I said before, gender-affirming care isn't just medical treatment, but sometimes treatment like social things as well, like using their preferred pronouns or allowing them to style their hair or wear the clothes they feel most comfortable in really simple things and even puberty blockers are um, are reversible as needed um, as a treatment for gender dysphoria. But gender dysphoria itself is a it's a profound sense of disconnect that can cause clinically significant distress and put someone at higher risk for depression, anxiety, low self esteem self-injury and thoughts of suicide, as well as eating disorders, starving or binging or purging food in an attempt to shape your body to Mm. regain some sense of control or to feel at peace with yourself. And so in that respect, when there are risks of self-injury or substance misuse as a means to cope, gender-affirming care is protecting the children uh, and protecting adults too.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for that. I, um, I wonder if you feel like this uh, is a um, sort of. A, 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 uh, if this uh, sort of legislation is pushback against some kind of societal shift that, that we might not be totally aware of. And I'm thinking about, in particular, about the kind of the rise of the fear of the Satanist cult in the 80s. And uh, sort of the the recognition now that that might have been in response to, um, you know, the that we didn't know much about the Catholic uh, uh, Church abuse scandal that this was all playing out kind of uh, backstage. Um, I wonder if you've thought at all about uh, this type of legislation, which seems uh, to, you know, seems to go against. The things the parents of these children want Uh, and in fact um, to quote Judy Schmidt who uh, is the parent of a young transgender child who who spoke during a committee meeting on SB 254 what you're doing is taking away a life-saving potential opportunity for me and my family, a decision that should be made between me and my healthcare professionals and my therapist that works for my child. Thank you for reporting that. Um, I think that lays bare this idea that this is a this is a mother who thinks she knows what is best for her child with uh, after seeking medical uh, uh, you know medical uh, uh, advice and so forth and under the guise of more freedom this legislation would uh, eliminate a life-saving potential opportunity for her what is going on backstage that we're not aware of like what what is this in response to
6: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question that I've thought about as well. I mean, it does seem to be driven by the DeSantis agenda. But as far as where he gets this, I mean, there's a national movement. So it goes it goes beyond Florida. Uh, Gender affirming care, I believe, for minors has been banned in, I think, about nine states, including Florida. But there's a national movement of activists and uh, very wealthy political donors behind um, This messaging that's coming out of not just DeSantis and not just Republican lawmakers in Florida, but um, lawmakers across the country.
0: We're going to turn right now to a call before we get into a couple of more of these bills with 15 minutes left on the program. Uh, Simon in Lakeland, you're you're on the air.
7: Hi, good morning. Thank good you. morning. This been my call. I don't know if either of you two are familiar with the iconic journalist of the 20th century, Walter Lippmann. Sure. He he talked about the distinction between news and truth, Mm. and truth bringing uh, forth hidden facts that are measurable, and when the two merge, it's uh, recognizable. Uh, That being said, uh, news, in essence, another word, would be story. And stories uh, deal with power, they deal with control, they deal with desire, they deal with values. And there's an intriguing um, book. I don't know if you two are familiar with Andy Tucker. She's a professor journalist. Uh, She's a professor of journalism at Columbia University. The book is put out by Columbia Press. It's Mm -hmm. called Not Exactly Lying. She's the authority on what she refers to as fake news. Mm -hmm. But what I want to touch on, another word, which uh, you triggered me a little bit, if I want to use a contemporary word, even though I'm not of the age, is what people call don't stay gay. Yeah. And in reference to that type of statement, she refers to that as fake journalism. Fake journalism is some kind of authority or authentic speaking, heavy partisanship, opinion or propaganda in a form specifically crafted to look or sound like real independent journalism rooted in impartial investigation and rigorous verification. What we have today is we have activism in journalism. I am not a fan of journalism. I could easily give you four or five examples. Uh, Jason Blair, uh, the famous uh, uh, writer at the New York Times that was let go when he was talking about the, the D.C. sniper.
0: He was making things up, though. I'm not sure that, that that's correct, activism.
7: Correct, but he, but he was put in a position uh, because he was, uh, demographically, they were looking for someone to represent that view. But, uh, I mean, I could give you Laura Leaf, who wrote a very famous book called Buried by the Times, that from 1939 to 1945, there were 24,000 front page articles on Nazi World War II. Only six on the front page called Jews victims. You could talk about Walter Duranty. You could talk about Tuvia Gross.
0: Appreciate the, the history I, I lesson, think, I really I, do, Simon. What you go on? Yep. But,
7: I mean journalism is an activist, uh, and as Kelly McBride from the Pointer Center says know your audience.
0: Yeah. Thank you for the hey call ben, Simon. I, Go ahead McKenna.
6: If I could just respond a little bit um specifically to the don't say uh gay thing i I just want to say i use that phrase more because people are aware of it the actual title of the bill is parental rights and education right and so i don't mean to just use whatever activist term is thrown around about it that's just a term that i think a lot of people understand because that has been promoted so heavily in the media um attention that that bill has received
0: thank you for that clarification uh, reading from uh, Matt Riola, free press in this country effectively acts as a fourth branch of government in the sense that it checks the powers of the other three, just as those three were constitutionally meant to check each other. Keep up the good work, thank you, Matt. We really appreciate it here at WMNF. The program is the skinny. I'm Ben Montgomery. If you'd like to call in, the number here is 813 239 9663. Send us an email. DJ at WMNF.org. Let's keep talking about this. McKenna, take us to... uh, There was some action this morning. Am I right on... um, uh, Excuse me. On uh, Senate Bill 1438, which would... um, Under the guise of protecting children from drag performances, the bill threatens to fine, suspend, or revoke the license of any public establishment that admits children to an adult live performance, which you reported. Um, am I right that uh, that cleared a committee this morning?
6: You know, I'm um, be. Be fully transparent. I think it was, but I mean, I I believe it was heard, but I'm not sure what the outcome of that was. I should check <laughs> my what tracking. Is,
0: thank you. What is this? Uh, what What is this bill? Can you, can you give us the skinny on it and tell us some, um, uh, how it came about, if you, if you know anything about the motivation behind it.
6: So, um, the way I described it, very just sort of off the cuff uh, for creative loafing, was the bill is legislating drag. It would, um, it would essentially just kind of uh, place greater restrictions on drag performances in the state of Florida, which is something, again, that is being done nationwide. There's another there's another kind of national movement towards uh, placing these restrictions. But what it would do is under the guise of protecting children from drag performances, the bill threatens to, quote, fine, suspend or revoke the license of any public establishment that admits children to an, quote, adult live performance. And while that sounds like a very vague term, the definition for the term in the bill is described in pretty painstaking detail and uses words like shameful and morbid interest. One example of where the similar legislation is gaining traction is uh, Tennessee was the first state to approve similar legislation last month, Um, but as it is, even without this legislation, we have seen uh, drag performers and drag performances across the state of Florida already be hit with these sort of kind of attacks. Mm. Like the case um, here where I am in, at the Plaza Live in Orlando, which is a small nonprofit venue that like really can't um, withhold like super big attacks from the state when it comes to this these things. Um, I don't know if you want to speak more on that. I know there's been some reporting, especially from the Miami Herald recently on um, that particular uh, incident.
0: Yeah. Do you know? Uh, do you know the underpinnings of that?
6: Yeah. So the the DeSantis administration uh, directed a state agency to revoke the liquor license of Orlando's Plaza Live venue, as well as a Hyatt Regency hotel in Miami, for holding a drag event titled "A Drag Queen Christmas" in late December. Um, but according to the Miami Herald, an investi- an undercover investigation of the Orlando event showed that there were no, quote, lewd acts that occurred on stage. But the administration, knowing that, moved to revoke the plaza's liquor license anyway.
0: Well, I sure am glad my tax dollars are going to pay an undercover agent to the to Florida <laughs> to check out these drag shows. What? <sighs>
6: yeah, that was... This is what your tax dollars are growing towards, McKenna, and writing up these yeah. reports. Yeah,
0: I'm sorry. We got a uh, Steve has a question for you. Let's. Uh, hey, Steve, are you still with us? Yes. Do you have a question?
2: Oh, not particularly. I, I apologize. I guess the question would be uh, there was mention made earlier by I believe it was the host about. Either the expense and WMNF, media generally, using attorneys only were absolutely necessary because of the expense. Mm -hmm. I happen to be a retired lawyer. I'm not going to gas on about the law. But I'd be astounded if there weren't a number of prestigious firms in Tampa that wouldn't take on anything that you guys needed pro bono. The
0: only other thing I'd like. It sounds like you're volunteering, Steve.
2: (laughs) Uh, I'd certainly be happy <laughs> to help, well, you, but you take that off the air. I don't want to <laughs> chew up time. I, I don't think I'd be your guy yeah. for First Amendment work, but I will say this. An intelligent high school student that paid attention in civics class, even a 10th grader, would look at many of these pieces of legislation and say, this is rankly unconstitutional. That's right. You know, I'm not a lawyer, but gee whiz, Daddy. Uh, how how can this be? How can Florida do this? And the answer is there is now a somewhat, you know, it, it's very efficient. It's well known. Uh, it's a it's a reciprocal. It's a feedback loop. Huh. A Supreme Court justice or a Court of Appeals justice indicates some uh, uh, some doubt about a particular precedent, and then sure enough, you whether know, it's the University of Chicago, federal sites, you can name them all. It's, there we it's go. No secret. They put together cases, many of them filed in a particular district in Texas or Alabama, and then it goes to the Court of Appeals. And however it turns out, all of a sudden, you've got five Supreme Court justices think we have to take it so you know that's my take on it but watch this happen
0: you make a great point steve we're watching and uh i was uh about to click over to deandre i sorry i missed you my friend if you want to give a call back i'd be glad to take it once again 813-239-9663 you're listening to the skinny on wmnf um mckenna while you while you're still with us um let's uh i know i i said we would cover the first uh, four on this long list of uh, <laughs> freedom establishing bills. Um, I say that in jest. Uh, we're told these are all about making us more free, right?
6: Yeah, so that's something I've heard about these bills. And then even another bill that I've been, or a set of proposals I've been keeping my eye on is a bill that essentially targets public sector unions in Florida and A lot of people, like I've been in the committee stops for that one, and there's a lot of conservative and Republican union members that have come up and said, this bill takes away my freedoms. And yet it's still advancing with uh, pretty much along party lines with Republican support. House Bill
0: 1069, you write, it would regulate sex ed in schools by only approving it for sixth graders and up and would force abstinence only as the expected standard for teens. It would also allow any person in your school district to object to any classroom book, school library book, or a book on a reading list that shows or describes any sexual content, even if it is not pornographic, provided it's not for a health course. This is uh, what we were talking about a a little earlier is my uh, lack of uh, education on this. Uh, I was just mumbling uh, through it. But this is the bill uh, that one uh, state legislator points out might uh, curtail any discussion of um, uh, menstrual cycle uh, for those uh, younger than eighth grade. Is that is that right?
6: I believe so. I'm I'm not as super well acquainted with this bill. I've been following a lot, but it does seem to just it, it has gotten a lot of criticism, including from I, I got a statement from the executive director of the National Coalition of STD Directors, who um, you know made a point to call out this bill.
0: And and I know we, we've spent uh, time on this program in the past talking about House Bill 999, which deals uh, with higher education. And a lot of people have come to this bill uh, through its uh, sort of attack on diversity, equity and inclusion programs in higher ed and on uh, gender affirming, uh, g- I'm sorry, gender studies courses, African-American study courses um, and uh, critical race theory But this also could impact queerness in college and universities, right?
6: Yeah, I mean, it it just again has that overarching chilling effect on on allowing and kind of not allowing, but I guess being open to the idea of diversity. And as far as the kinds of courses that would be allowed, it just kind of says, you know, this isn't okay. This isn't okay to teach. And that that has an effect, I think, on teachers, students, education, the quality of education that students receive.
0: Thank you so much, uh, McKenna. And we're going to turn real quick to one last caller. I think one last caller. We've got about two minutes left. Uh, Allison in Tampa, you're on the air. Hi, Allison. Hey. Hi.
8: Uh, thanks for taking my call. I know you're squeezing me in at last minute. I am a long-time listener, but I haven't had a chance to listen to your show in a while.
0: In that case, you have all the time you want. Go ahead.
8: Oh, you're very kind. <laughs> um, one of the things that I wanted to ask about, I, I'm con- I, these things that are going through the legislature right now are completely unreasonable, and they're basically um, driven by homophobic people. I, don't, I, I watched Bob Hope when I was a kid. And I'm 63 years old. My parents didn't damage me by letting me see him in a skirt. Um, But what I'm wondering is, if we're going to have this drag show thing, we're going to legislate against drag shows, what is that going to do for, like, the Strath Center and Ruth Eckert Hall when they have things like Chicago or Rent or some of these other... I mean, I like to take my kid... Now he's 27, so it doesn't matter anymore. But when when he was little, I took him to see stuff at those venues and there are certain things that they show on broadway that are clearly um you know drag shows
0: but mckenna have you have you dug deep enough into this bill to see if it's uh, specifies uh does it draw a distinction between it, shakespeare and drag yeah
6: not ex- not exactly i mean the first it's been a minute since I looked into the whole bill text, but it, it defines what an adult live performance is. And it, it's still very vague and kind of just difficult to navigate. So I imagine there could be, you know, potential challenges brought up. If if you did bring your child to go see Rent, I love that musical. And at the same time, there, you know, I, I could see a parent like maybe filing a legal challenge on that front. I
0: wish we had 525,600 minutes to talk about this McKenna. We do not. Thank you so much for joining us. It's noontime. You're listening to The Skinny on WMNF. We hope you have a great day. Thank you so much. McKenna, how can people find these stories that you're writing?
6: Yeah, so I'm a staff reporter for Orlando Weekly now. I just moved to Orlando from Tampa, actually, a couple months ago. So you can find all that I'm writing on OrlandoWeekly.com. I'm also on Twitter, uh, way too much, <laughs> at she carries on. So you can find me there.
0: Thank you so much, and thanks for joining us today, folks. The Skinny WMNF. We're out.
5: Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Janine Herbst. The House has passed a bill that aims to increase so-called parental rights in public schools across the country. NPR's Windsor-Johnston reports the Republican-backed legislation is likely to fuel the ongoing debate.